Hello and welcome to Write, Speak, Play with host Nancy Arvizu. Hello and welcome to this episode of Write, Speak, Play. It's me, Nancy. And today I thought I would read you a story that I wrote after I discovered some disturbing things about my own ancestry. Over the past year, I have been involved in an ancestry project and it's uncovered a lot of truths that have been turned into myths and legends and utterly forgotten for very strangely convenient reasons. But what I discovered is that my family history is not so different from many others if we only really looked. So when I discovered how some of my ancestors arrived on the shores of America, I realized there's a story there. There was a way to tell a truth about something that has been romanticized about for far too long. And so I will be reading my story, The Sale of an Immigrant Girl, right after these messages. The Sale of an Immigrant Girl by Nancy Arvizu. When my father told me he would be sending me to the Americas, I was full of so many emotions. Me go to America? As a young girl, I immediately had all kinds of dreams of what it might be to live in the land they called America. I'd heard the elders speaking of it, how they too might make such a journey. I had hoped my parents and family would find a way for all of us to go. I thought maybe this was all my father could afford for now, and I, as the oldest, would go first, and then they would come later. When he told me I was to be married and he put the photo in my hand, I, I didn't understand. How could I be married? I did not want to marry the man in the picture. I begged my father not to do such a thing, but he told me he had no choice. It was how things like this were done. I had never been with a boy. Living so far from others made it nearly impossible to meet anyone outside of family or the neighbors who also only had daughters. My father had once told me the only good I would bring to him might be a strong son-in-law to help him farm the land. And now he was sending me off to a stranger in a strange land. I'd never seen my mother cry, not so much that she nearly fainted several times, and by the time I was seated on the worn bench, of my father's rickety wagon hooked up to the old farm horse headed for the port a day's journey away. She could not rise from her bed to say goodbye. The last time I saw my mother, she had already nearly died from a broken heart. My father did not speak with me much. The old cart kept his attention as he prayed it would hold together for the entire journey. I, on the other hand, spent my time praying the cart and horse would collapse and the ship would leave without me. Of the few things we did speak, he told me how to be a good wife, to take care of all the things within the home so my husband could take care of the things outside. That's the way it was. 
And when I was finished on the inside, he told me to go help on the outside. But stick close to your walls, he warned me. A wandering wife is but a thorn in a man's side and is only worthy of a strap. I shuddered. I knew what a strap was and what it meant to be whipped. I had been the target of my father's whip many a time. I worried again about my mother. I'd seen her whipped by the man seated next to me in rage, in punishment, and sometimes it seemed even in pleasure. He just liked to beat things. He let me know too that this man had paid him good money, more than I would ever brought the family if someone from home had come calling. You'll make a difference to your family, he told me as if this was something I should be proud of, that the sale of my flesh would benefit my family. I dared to wonder the price he'd collected or what he might sell my sisters for when they came of age. My first glimpse of the sea came through the air long before my eyes would see the water. My heart began to beat faster and faster until I thought surely it would leap from my chest by way of my throat and I would die before being set out into such a large body of endless water. It was the first time, but not the last, in which I would learn what true terror was. Being whipped by my father was nothing compared to this. A whipping ended. The rage subsided. There might even be times of peace or at least quiet contempt, like the last day I rode next to him. The last hours on this earth, I would be with my father. But this water was never ending. I could not see to where it was taking me. I could not see the other side. And I knew once I reached the other side, I would never see my home again. My father stood in the line with me and waited in the cold until I reached the person who would take my ticket and a few papers my father produced from an envelope he'd been keeping inside his coat pocket. I saw how his hand shook as he handed them to the man in a hat that sat sideways on his bald head and gave me the chills when I saw his eyes travel the length of my body. Before we reached the man, my father suddenly took me into his arms and hugged me tight. I was so surprised by his actions, I did not know how to respond. I don't believe my father had ever hugged me before. Thinking of it now, I think the only time he touched me was to beat me in some way. He whispered in my ear, you go make a good life. He sniffled and wiped at his eyes, and then he reached into his coat for an envelope and shoved it into my hands. You hold on to these. I climbed unsteady steps to the deck of the boat where other grimy men waited with outstretched hands I thought were meant to help me off the plank, but instead groped at my body and belongings in a way I never could have imagined. I was unable to turn and look at my father to see if he had waited to make sure I made it up into the ship to wave goodbye until I fought my way through the mob of men to where a group of women had huddled, waiting for instructions of what to do next. I looked over the railing to the dock where he'd left me. I did not see him, nor when I tried to peer into the darkening distance did I see the horse and wagon on the road home. I didn't have long to mourn the loss of my home or family. I had to now learn to adjust to living with a large group of strangers in a small contained space in a very large body of water. 
And I had to learn to not only to control my own terror of everything and everyone around me, but I also had to learn to deal with those who couldn't control their own thoughts or actions. There were 17 of us on the ship, young, single, being sent off to marry men who'd made financial arrangements with our fathers or other family members in charge of our fate. Those of us with photos of our future husbands shared them. Those without only had their imaginations of what their future might look like. There were other women on board, most of them with children and few with husbands. The majority of those without husbands but with children were also being sent off to men who not only bought a wife but a ready-made family, children who could be put to work right away. I had not thought about children until then. I was being sent to a strange land where I would marry a man I did not know and have children with. I wanted to believe he would not be as brutal as my father. I prayed for this just as hard as I prayed for the wagon to break. I thought those days on the ship were the most terrifying of my life, having to protect myself from the groping hands of the crew and some of the passengers and keep a very close watch on my belongings. I was never without the medium-sized sack my mother had sewn from what material she had, mostly animal skins, which turned out to be a good thing and kept most of my belongings from being ruined by the human waste we spent the majority of our days and nights in. We were allowed to the deck, or at least to an outside space twice a day, most of the days we were on the water. The first few times many of us, the families and men included, were too overwhelmed with fear to get near the railing to come away from the walls. Some could only stand at the threshold of an open door, unable to step out onto the deck at all. It took me but a day to decide to stop being fearful of the water. If nothing else, it provided me with a plan of final escape should I decide none of this would be worth surviving. Little did I know how many times over the course of my life I would wish I'd taken that path when I'd had the chance, for I would never be near such a body of water again. A few of the passengers succumbed to death, although none by flinging themselves over the rail. Instead, they were lowered into their watery graves wrapped in what cloth could be spared. Sometimes it was nothing more than the clothes they wore, the rest of their belongings already stolen away by the living. The first sight of land at first excited me. For a moment, I stood on the rail of that ship and believed myself to be a brave explorer, arriving in a place I had chosen to travel to that I had made the decision to make this journey, and this was to be the greatest adventure of my life. The sighting of land surged in energy through the ship and its passengers. And while the energy seemed to speed up the movement of the people around me, it also seemed like the winds were against us, that the boat was not moving fast enough towards the shore. I needed to get off the boat. Everyone needed to get off the boat. And by the time we finally reached the shore, people were in a mad rush to get off the boat. I did my best to control my own thoughts, my own overwhelming desire to feel my feet on solid ground again, to escape the putrid stench of the dark hole I'd been living in with too many strangers. Every day had been a blur, filled with fear, filled with only the fight to survive, to remain somehow intact, to remain myself. But I knew when I finally did leave the ship and make my way through the same groping mob that had welcomed me down the same wobbly plank that now seemed almost normal under my sea legs, 
and my feet finally settled onto the mother earth, I was not the same person. During the journey from one land to another, I had transformed from the girl I had been to a person who had experienced things I never knew even existed. A boat so large you could hold over 200 people. A body of water so large I could not see from one side to the other. Men who could not, would not keep their hands to themselves. And women are stronger than they appear. And that somewhere out there in the middle of that ocean, somewhere in between here and there in that watery grave was a piece of my soul. I was different when I got off that ship. And I was different still, maybe even more when I was released from the quarantine stable where I and the other single women who were there to become brides were kept until we were deemed non-diseased and healthy enough to be handed over to the men who had purchased us. I was not introduced to the man I was betrothed to. On the day I was released, I walked through a series of doors at each one, I would be asked questions, the same questions, my name, my country of origin, and the name of the man who purchased me. I was highly aware that this man had given my father actual money in exchange for me. My father had made no bones about it in the last of our time together, and neither would my husband for nearly every day for the rest of his life. I ended the long walk in front of a man in a black suit where the first words I said in English were yes and yes, as I accepted the vows of marriage with a stranger. I noticed the way his eyes traveled my body and the way he rubbed at his crotch as we stood before the man in the suit. The fear I learned on the ship returned, but I knew this would be even worse. I felt like God was making each new thing worse and I began to fear the future. What horror could God be planning for me? The man in the suit handed my husband a piece of paper and waved the others he held in his hand at us. Go on, he told us, move along. My husband grabbed my arm and led me away. I turned to watch the next girl step up before the man in the black suit and the man she would be married to in a few more seconds. For some reason, I waved at her, and she even waved back. My arm jerked. Let's get cleaned up. He grumbled, but he didn't loosen his hold. He dragged me a little further until I shook my arm loose and stopped walking. Sir, I told him, I will go with you willingly. I rubbed at my arm. You do not need to hurt me. I remember I was trying so hard not to cry. I had to look to the ground. God, how I did not want this man to see me cry. I will go with you, I told him. He stopped too. He did not try to grab me again, at least not then. Instead, we walked, me a few steps behind him, to a boarding house where he'd rented a room and had paid for baths for both of us. For a moment, I pretended to be in heaven sitting in a tub of hot water in the second story of a building in America. I was able to look out of a glassless window and see the open land beyond the city we were in. I could see my home through that window, or so I dreamed. I believed in the adventure. Sitting in front of my reflection for the first time as I brushed through my wet hair, 
I realized I was a handsome woman, pretty even when I smiled. My teeth were not bad. Even the men who checked us all when we arrived had said so. The heat of the water had left my skin flush, but nothing could take away the exhaustion. The woman who ran the house knocked on the door and reminded me I needed to get done. Someone else needed a bath. I remember looking at myself in that glass for as long as I could as I gathered my things and put on my new undergarments, dress and shoes my husband had given me. The woman who owned the house took my bag and promised to return my things cleaned, she promised, and she did the very next morning. I'd never been so grateful in my life. She'd done such a nice thing for me by washing away as much of the stench and stains of my journey from there to here as she could. When she handed me my bag, she told me in my own language, I know your journey, be strong. You have much ahead of you. She even squeezed my hand. We ate in the kitchen of the house. The same woman served us a meal of roasted bird and corn. It was the most wonderful food I had ever tasted. I was even allowed to have a small glass of spirit. The woman shared it with us when my husband told her we had been married that morning. After our meal, we retired to our room. No one had prepared me for what would take place next. He closed the door, stripped me of my clothing, and put his body into mine. I did not cry out. I did not try to stop him. Something in me knew this is why I was here. This was how children were made, and that is what he had purchased me for. But it hurt. At first, the pain was nothing like I'd ever known, not like being kicked by a horse or stepping in a trap, which I'd done as a child and still bore the scars, not even a whipping from my father. It was a pain I felt both in my body and in my soul. I was grateful when it was over and was finally able to sleep for a few hours until he woke me up and did it to me again. This would be the pattern of our life. When he had the need, he would do this to me without asking, the only warning being his hands on me at all. Otherwise, the man would not touch me, not even by accident, if I were to pass him something like a plate or a gun. By the fifth week after my arrival, I knew I was with child. It wasn't something I needed to be told. My body was telling me enough. My breasts were fuller and I could not keep any food down. This did not stop my husband from putting me to work once we arrived at a one-room home made from rough lumber. It was but a smaller version of my father's home on a larger, lonelier expanse of land. I could see no other buildings in sight, at least for the first few years, until my husband sold off half of the land when he became ill with the rot gut from too much of the same sorts of spirits the woman from the boarding house had given us on the day we were married. I was to figure out how to cook the animals he would kill on the prairie, I was told this land was called. Devoid of trees, the only thing to be seen or growing was the wheat my husband planted. I was given a small patch to grow the vegetables we needed to survive as he was not a successful hunter, and I somehow managed to grow a few of the fruit trees I weaned from seeds of the peaches and the apples my husband would purchase occasionally when we went to town. By the time our first child arrived, my garden was doing quite well. 
The birth was easy, and for the first time, I did not fear of this unknown. My husband had allowed the doctor from the town to come visit once, just before she was born. He'd left us instructions in the event there would be no one but us there to birth her. He said he would be back in a month, and he was there a month later to check on both myself and my daughter. He gave us both a clean bill of health, he had said, and I remember being proud of that. She was a sweet baby, but little did I know it was because she was not hungry. A hungry baby is not a happy baby. My garden provided us with so much. I was learning how to prepare the food so we could store it and have it during the winter months when not only would my husband not hunt, he would not go into town unless he was out of spirits. Then he would travel into town regardless of the weather. And while I might have been happy to see him go, grateful for the peace I would enjoy when he was gone and the time spent alone with my daughter, I knew that without him, we would not survive. Our second child did not survive, did not live long enough to even be born, and the doctor had to come and pull my son's remains from my body. This hurt more than giving birth, and the doctor warned me that having future children could be risky to my health and the child. But he gave me no way to avoid being made with child from my husband. I began to fear the times when he would take me, praying the whole time to God to please protect me and the poor children that might die inside me. Over the course of 33 years of marriage, I was pregnant 23 times. I lost seven children before they could be born. Two more died during their first days. Three died before they reached 15 years of age. One died in the war and another hung himself for reasons I will never know. Like me, my children work their father's land. From sunup to sundown, my children would tend to the few animals we had while I learned to cook for a family whose numbers changed like the wind. I missed my dead children and I feared for the ones who lived. I listened to their cries when there was not enough food or when their father had been taken to the spirits and had his hand on the whip he used to push the old horse through the field. I'd traveled thousands of miles and had suffered great pain. I'd seen and experienced mistreatment of people, myself, by strangers who would not think of me ever again, but who still haunted my dreams. I realized this life was no better than what I might have been torn away from in hopes of a better life. I worried I would die like my mother, in a bed, in a broken body, with a broken heart. One day the doctor came by to check on us. It was something he did out of the goodness of his heart. He worried about us. He told me this often. He knew we were hungry at times and had brought us bags of rice and flour and even salt and once sugar. We'd never been able to pay him and I knew he and his wife had no children. In desperation one day, I asked him to take my youngest as payment. Perhaps they would be able to change my child's stars as my father had not been able to change mine. The doctor looked at my little one, gathered into the folds of my one worn house dress. Even while the last stretch of my heart begged me not to wish such a thing, I wished it anyways. Please child, go with the man. Go have a better life than this. But my child clung to me and the doctor left 
To this day, I cannot describe how I could have done such a thing. It was hard enough knowing some of my children no longer walked on this earth. I did not realize how much harder it would be to know one of my children was out there without me. But as I watched the years go by, I knew deep down it would have been better for everyone if it had gone the other way. The youngest two left home together and headed for the ocean, the opposite one over which I had traveled. When I waved goodbye to them as the bus they were on traveled towards the setting sun, I knew I would never see them again. And I thought of my father and of my mother and my sisters. Maybe out there, their paths might cross somehow and they would find each other. Or maybe my children would finally leave the ways of the past behind and truly go on to live better lives than I had. My daughter, my oldest, she grew into a strong, intelligent woman. She married a boy from a family in town and they ran a little store and lived upstairs. She came to visit as often as she could until her own children began to arrive. I went to stay with her during both births and enjoyed being in town. I liked how I could walk just downstairs and had access to the things my daughter and her family needed, like food right there. She didn't have to grow it herself or clean the animals her husband might kill in the field. It was such a different life than mine, and I was so incredibly happy for my daughter. Her life was different than mine in a very good way. Until it wasn't, and she and my two beautiful grandsons and their father were killed when their store and home burned to the ground after lightning struck the town and burned just about all of it to the ground. Her death confused me, and for the first time I grew angry with God. No amount of suffering or fear I had experienced had ever led me to blame God or hold God accountable for the actions of man. I left all that to God, or tried to. My husband was actually happy to stop going. He said it saved us both time and money, most of which he gave over to the spirits and his own anger, which until then I didn't understand. But after the fire I did, and I too began to sip at his spirits. Thank you for listening to The Sale of an Immigrant Girl. I hope it helped you to put an old myth into a different light. It certainly changed my story. This story, The Sale of an Immigrant Girl, was originally published on medium.com. And it's also appeared in my Blood of My Enemies series, short story collections. And you can find a link to it in the show notes. Links to my social media website and ebooks available on Amazon are in the show notes. This has been Write, Speak, Play with host Nancy Arvizu.